Hello and welcome to Five Alive. It's another beautiful day here in Mahali, Chandigarh, Punjab. We are going to be reading in the book of John, chapter 12. We are going to be discussing Jesus' triumphal entry and yet again, Lazarus is still in the picture. He was raised from the dead last chapter and there was a lot of preliminary stuff leading up to Jesus resurrecting Lazarus from the dead. And yet even in the next chapter, we have Lazarus again mentioned. It is the week of Pentecost. A lot of theologians call this Passion Week because this is the week leading up to Jesus's death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. And this is something for us to keep in mind as we're reading this passage of scripture, John chapter 12, verses 9 through 19. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on the account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had risen from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Passover is a very important holiday during this time, especially to pilgrims or people part of the diaspora of Israel that are all over the world. They come to Jerusalem during Passover week. But what is Passover other than just a celebration and remembrance of what God did for the Israelites by redeeming and rescuing them from slavery in Egypt? This is what the celebration came together for as a result. However, there is so much more to the story of Passover that the people of God are then coming together in order to worship him. Do you guys remember what Passover was or what the celebration of Passover is? Uh, Passover was the celebration of whenever the Israelites were released from Egypt. The How many plagues were there? Ten. Ten. So the tenth plague, which was the plague of death, they were instructed to put uh, fast and put blood over lamb's blood over their doorways and then eat only unleavened bread and bitter herbs and then go to bed that night with the blood over their post, right? Well, they didn't necessarily sleep. They just stayed up. Because they were supposed to be eating. eating they had night. to eat all of the food. There could be nothing left over by morning. Okay. Right? And then during that night, uh, the angel of... Angel of Death? Mm -hmm. The Angel of Death came into town and killed the firstborn of everything in every household that did not have the blood over the post. And so after the Jews were uh, escaped from Egypt, they celebrated the Passover and their um, release from Egypt. 
Yes, exactly. And so the Passover is a time of celebration that's uh, uh, to glorify God and attest to his gracious acts then and encourage the worshipers that are coming into Jerusalem that he is the same God now, that he will grant grace, mercy, and rescue those that he calls his own. So as Xavier described, this is exactly what we find in the book of Exodus chapter 12. And then when he says it was put into law or a practice for them to do after they had left Egypt, we see that written in Numbers chapter 9, and it's also rewritten again in 2 Chronicles chapter 35. Passover was not always celebrated in the Israelite history, however, because there was a moment when the Babylonians came from Iraq, Iran area, and they ruled over the Israelites, and they took them captive and spread them all over the world as a result those times, those years, they were not able to celebrate Passover. However, this is after that time. So now you have Israelites that have been scattered all over the world, known to mankind at this time. And they are in pilgrimage coming back to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover. The Romans who are ruling over Israel at this time have allowed the traditions and the religion of Judaism to be able to be kept. And so this is um, the time and the date that we have going on here. Is there anything to add? All right. Preparations for the festival. Xavier started describing some of those. People, families are to select an unblemished lamb, meaning it cannot have a spot. It cannot have uh, some kind of blemishing spot on its coat. It cannot have a broken leg. It cannot be diseased. It has to be unblemished. It has to be a male and it has to be a yearling, which means it has to be approximately one year of age. Originally, the lamb was to be sacrificed in the between the evenings, in other words, in the middle of the night, the blood would be smeared on the doorposts and the lentil, which is the top part of the door. And that later changed within Chronicles um, to being the blood would be sprinkled on the altar in the temple and poured at the altar's base. The flesh was then roasted. No bone was to be broken. The whole lamb was to be cooked, head, legs, all of the innards, the whole lamb was to be cooked all at once, and it was not allowed to be eaten raw or boiled. The meat was to be then eaten with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, as Xavier described a second ago, all night, and nothing was to be left over into the morning. So that is the preparation that is coming up here. And yet, not only are people coming into Jerusalem from all over the world, uh, just in order to be a part of this wonderful celebration. But they also start hearing people talk about this zombie guy. Jerusalem now has this story of a man who has been dead for four days, that Jesus went to the tomb and he called out this man named Lazarus and he was raised from the dead. And so as people are coming in and they're hearing this story of a man who has been raised from the dead, Every race and language is able to be touched by this story as a result of everyone from the known world coming into one location for a celebration. And in a few days, they're going to go back out into those places and they're going to tell the story of this miracle that has happened. People are also extremely curious, what does a man who's been dead for four days look like? So they want to surround the miracle worker but they also want to see the person that was saved or the miraculous have uh, happened to. Isn't it interesting how the unexplained captivates our attention, both skeptic and those who are easily persuaded? 
It's not that we just immediately are skeptical if we're skeptics, and it's not that we're easily persuaded automatically into something just because we're easily persuaded into things, but both ends of this spectrum of people have an interest in the unexplained or the unknowable. Out of curiosity, why do you think people would be interested in Lazarus? Would you be interested to see somebody who had been dead for four days and was raised from the dead if you had the opportunity? Like you're in the same town and it's like, hey, did you hear that guy over there? That guy over there was like uh, dead for four days. And you'd be like, why, why would you want to go see him? He's excited. Mm -hmm. Curious. Yeah. I'm confused on yeah. the fact that why? But like still, it's all because he was dead for four days and he's still right there. Like that curiosity and confusion and everything that runs through the person's brain that's what causes them to go over there even if they're skeptical about it because they want to know if it's true or not yeah i i completely agree i mean i'm curious about unexplained things all the time i mean it fascinates me i'm very skeptical like i spend the majority of my time when i hear a conspiracy theory and boy is the internet filled with conspiracy theories nowadays especially in 2020 holy smokes and yet most of the time when I hear these conspiracy theories, I go and I look at them more for a laugh than I do because I believe in them. I'm like, that is so strange. There is no possible way that could happen. And it's, it's like a big joke to me. Like, I think it's so funny. So I like to read them or even hear these conspiracies uh, because it it's good entertainment, if you will. Like, it, I enjoy a good laugh. And, and so it's it, it helps... Put me in a good mood sometimes just because it's like, <laughs> I can't believe somebody would think that COVID would end after November the 3rd. Like, that's funny to me. But at the same time, I'm very curious to go research it out. Now, in the passage of scripture that Xavier was reading to us in, in John chapter 12, verses 9 through 19, we see in verse 11 that there is a plot not just to kill Jesus anymore, but now they've included somebody else. They included Lazarus. What would the plot to kill Lazarus accomplish? It would remove the person of whom the miracle happened to, and therefore the miracle didn't happen, and it's able they're able to cover it up better. The story would if, end. The star story would end. If you remove the person that everybody's believing on him because he was raised from the dead, then the story would end evidently, and they could regain control and say it was a hoax or bogus. Yeah, absolutely. So religious leaders are trying to regain control to get popularity swayed back in their own opinion. And remember, these are people that are just like Jesus. These are Israelites. These are worshipers of Yahweh. These are men and women who serve God in Israel. There's no difference between them as far as all of those things go. And yet they feel like control is slipping out of their hands into the hands of this man named Jesus. So they don't only plan to kill Jesus, they're also starting to plan to kill somebody that he miraculously rose from the dead. Now, what benefit, if any, is there in us finding out this information today? In other words, why would this be put into scripture? Like, why would the author, John, write down, and they plotted to kill Lazarus? Uh, it's important to know that Jesus was actually real, and he wasn't some just great man, and not everybody's going to agree with you, and not everybody believes in Jesus, and so they're going to try anything to tear it down. And mm -hmm. I mean, Scripture says multiple times, when you become a follower of Jesus, 
that life's not going to be easy. In fact, it's actually going to be much harder. And this is showing an example of Christ living his own life and yet having his one of his best friends being plotted to kill and his own life being plotted against. I think John is showing us that life isn't always that as easy as it seems. And people will try and harm us because we believe in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. In addition to what you're saying, I think it's very telling of the Bible to be so transparent, for the authors of the Bible to be so transparent. In other words, it would be very easily for them to not have added this portion or this part of the Bible in there in saying that they plotted to kill Lazarus because it doesn't really benefit and it doesn't really hurt the story of the good news of who Jesus Christ is. But yet it's very important for us because of the eyewitness testimony of what happened with Lazarus. And so as a result of the eyewitness testimony, I think this really brings full, full circle the importance of who Christ is. He is 100% man and he is 100% God. He can do the miraculous. He doesn't just teach. He doesn't just have a really good teaching. He doesn't just have really good authority in his sayings or things that we can hang up on our wall or put into a picture frame or put on Instagram or Facebook and say, oh, these were the sayings of Jesus and they make you feel good. No, there's so much more depth to who Jesus is than just these um, th these good sayings of him. He, he is God and he is miraculous. He is a miracle working savior. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Most of the miraculous signs Jesus has performed gained attention. Many eyewitnesses had seen Jesus perform miracles like turning water into wine, causing a lame man to walk, a blind man to see, a woman who was constantly bleeding to be healed. Yet Lazarus being raised from four days in the tomb, skeptics are beginning to see Jesus, hear his teaching, and now they have Lazarus in front of them. And the skeptics are seeing proof positive that Jesus is the son of God. Therefore, Jesus is God. Do you find the miracle that is Lazarus significant? I find it significant. Yeah. It is the foreshadowing of Jesus's death and burial and resurrection. I mean, it's also a it's a showing of Jesus's full power over death before he even raises himself from the dead. Ah, there we go. He already proves to people that he's has power over death in raising Lazarus from the dead. And therefore, if he can do it to Lazarus, why wouldn't he be able to do it to himself? Okay. So combined in those two things, which is what Blair was saying just a second ago, and what you're saying in a little bit of a different way is Jesus has power over death, hell, and the grave. Yes. So the fact that Lazarus is miraculously raised from the dead has such power and significance in that day. How does it carry over to today? Does he still have that same power today? Yes. Yeah. Does he have that same power in our lives? Yes. Yes. How do we achieve that? How do we achieve this power of God, this power of Christ? It's kind of simple. You yeah, how Jesus. simple is it? It's as simple as ABC. <laughs> Meaning? You admit to Jesus, you're a sinner, and then you repent. You believe on Jesus as Christ, as God's son, and then you confess your faith in him. And you continue to build a relationship, read the Bible, pray, and 
can continue to develop your life and grow closer to God. And you already have that power. Wonderful. Yeah, exactly. And not be afraid to use it or not be afraid when praying over a person or something like like if you're praying for healing and stuff like that you don't be afraid when you're praying for it because you should know you have the power pray with anticipation pray, pray that with this anticipation, person yeah that this person will be healed yeah and if they're not this god's will and so let it be dying to oneself mm. and being resurrected with christ so to say our life is not our own yeah so I'm going to live my life how I want to live Yeah, is bogus because I have to die to self mm. in order to be fully embraced by the love of Christ Jesus. I have to mm. die. I have to die to the things of this world and make Christ Jesus my priority. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we sang a song today uh, by Kirk Franklin. It's the song Love Theory. And he talks about that in his song, which I find it so empowering because what he, what he says, loving you will be the death of me. That's how it's supposed to be more of you and less of me put in modern terminology. This is exactly what Jesus is showing us that as Blair's saying, put ourselves to death and be re resurrected ourselves in Christ. That's what the significance of Lazarus's miracle is. It's beautiful. Second thing that we saw in this passage of scripture is this. What an entrance. I mean, what an entrance Jesus makes. Now, we're studying the account of John's gospel, and it doesn't show us all the preparation that comes into play here. But Jesus is fully prepared for the entrance into Jerusalem during this time. Uh, if we look at the Gospel of Luke, for example, he tells his disciples to go over and get this colt that's tied up over here. And if somebody asks you, just tell them the master has asked for it. And to go over to this house and this upper room and they will have a place prepared for you. Jesus has made full preparations for everything uh, for the Passover week, this Passion Week. Even though he knows that he's being plotted against, even though he knows this is the last week that he's going to be on this earth, even though he knows that he is facing death uh, in the coming days, he still plans his entrance into Jerusalem. He's ready for celebrating and becoming our substitutionary atonement. He is ready to become our Passover lamb. This shows us the importance of order and detail, which Jesus perfectly executes. Bless, Bless you. Thank you. Now, personally, I like order. I like things to be in their place. I can get upset when things are not in their place, even if I'm the one that moved it and then forgot later on that I moved something. And then I'm like, oh, who moved that? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, it was me. I'm not always a fan of things not being scheduled. I don't always like bumps or interruptions to my plans. But yet in Jesus's order, he is prepared for everything that's coming, everything that's going to happen, and everything that will be uh, executed. And he does it in such a way that he doesn't bring this holy, righteous anger. He doesn't get upset. He plots and plans in a way where he is the one that is in control of everything. And if I put that into perspective of him being prepared in all these details, it means that he knows what's going to happen today, which means that if he knows what's going to happen today, 
and I don't take advantage of my relationship with him, that the reason I get caught off guard, the reason that I don't understand the way things are going is because I haven't had intimate time with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one that is planning not just his future, but my future as well. See, in order to uh, be a man of God, I need to make plans, I need to set goals, and I need to achieve those goals. But at the same time, if I am not a man who is consulting Jesus on my plans, on my goals, and on my achievements, then a lot of those things can be done in vanity, done just for myself. And sometimes they just don't even get accomplished as a result because I'm setting plans for myself. But if I consult Jesus, if I have a relationship with Jesus where we're talking about what's going to happen today, where we talk about what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen next month or next year, if I'm in continual scheduling time of prayer, as Xavier mentioned earlier, where I am not just talking to God, but I am also taking moments to listen to God, then my schedules and my plans won't be so interrupted that I get upset when things aren't in their place. I think this is an important thing for us, especially this year in 2020, where things have been so disrupted. Did anybody foresee COVID-19 coming? Did yes. anybody predict it? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. When we were, we were in Philadelphia last year in the summer at the Muter Museum. Uh-huh. And we met one of the leading, uh, one of the, yeah, leading, uh, what, what are they called? He studies germs and diseases. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what his and name is. So, <laughs> I don't even remember his name. But anyways, he studies all diseases and stuff like that. And he was with the World Health Organization just a few years prior. And they had already predicted that there's going to be an influenza-like virus that's going to come about in the next that was going to come about. He said in, in the, the next, next decade, right? In the next decade. Yeah. So in the next year to 10 years. Right. He said it's coming soon. He knew it was coming. They just didn't know when it was coming. But they had predicted by the pattern of all other diseases that it's going to come soon. Mm -hmm. And so they had already predicted it was coming soon. And then it came up in December. And we were, me, our family, especially me. We're freaking out. I was freaking out like, oh my goodness, this dude was correct. This guy was correct. Like yeah. he talked to us this whole time about how there's a disease that's going to be coming. And he's like, he knew we were coming back to India. He's like, I hope you guys are going to be prepared in India because there's going to be a disease coming in the next 10 years or yeah. maybe this year. Yeah. We don't know when it's coming. So yeah, it was predicted yeah. that it was going to come soon. Yeah. And it just came sooner than he really, they really thought it was going to come, but it came. Right. But the motto right. was spit, spit spreads death. death. Yeah. They were he was instructing people on the past influenza viruses that has caused a lot of problems back in the 1900s. Yes. Because people used to spit tobacco and just spit everywhere. Yeah. And the sanity was so bad. That sanitation. Sanitation was so bad that people died because of influenza way more than we do now because we know sanitation. We've learned better sanitation techniques. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. So as a believer in Christ, you got that information, right? Yeah. Now, did that information only come to you because you're a Christian? 
no like i was just really excited to meet us and he told us everything <laughs> yeah he definitely was uh but at the same time was he when when he was talking to us because we talked to this gentleman for an hour this doctor for an hour it maybe even an hour and a half mm. was he or was he not trying to call other people into the conversation and give attention to them so that, that way they would also understand what was coming yes yes he did did they pay attention not really I don't think in that hour and a half, anybody stood and listened to him for more than one to two minutes of what he was saying. There was a couple. There was a there couple. There was a couple there. Okay. And you could get like little buttons. Yeah, yeah. So like little kids with like a little button to pin on their shirts. And right. Woohoo, spit spreads death. <laughs> yeah. But what I'm trying to bring out is the fact that God prepares. He has a set plan. He has a set order. He has details to everything. And he allows us to be privy to that information. But do we take that information and accept it? Or sometimes do we reject it? Sometimes, sometimes we reject, reject it. it. Yeah, absolutely. And so with all of that, with my plans being interrupted, with me not understanding, okay, the doctor's name is Dr. Robert D. D. Hicks at the Muter Museum. And, uh, Say it one more time. Dr. Robert D. Hicks. We just want to give credit to him for um, speaking into our lives and helping us prepare for COVID-19 well before it had ever happened. Uh, because I believe this was God's plan in encouraging us in order to not be so thrown off when COVID-19 did come into play. Um, and, and again, I, as Xavier said, we did tell other people, we, we, we told other people this amazing story of this guy who's predicting this thing in the next 10 years. And people kind of looked at us and smiled and shrugged and were like, Haha, whatever. And it is hard for us as skeptical people to discern between who is the conspiracy theorist and who is the one that is actually bringing forth facts and tr trustworthy information. And again, that's why we come to Christ. That's why we have a relationship with him. That's why we pray and not just, again, speaking to him all of our wishes as if he's a genie in a bottle that's going to grant everything for us. But we listen to him as we confess ourselves and turn ourselves over to him. As Blair mentioned, dying to ourselves, we then fill ourselves, we remove all of ourselves from ourselves and we fill ourselves back up with Christ. We fill ourselves up with who Christ has created us to be. And seeing Jesus put all of this together in Passion Week reminds me of Jesus's perfect plan and his intricate detailing work that is still relevant today in 2020. Plans are important. So am I just going with the flow or do I set plans and goals? This is something for me to ask myself. Do I allow God and Jesus to be a part of my achievements and my plans? The second thing that I see within this beautiful entrance that Jesus gives us is there are signs and symbols that the people uh, speak and also physically do in order to bring forth the entrance of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem for Passover. The first thing they do is they wave palm branches. What were the palm branches for? Do you remember? Victory. Palm branches were a symbol of who Israel was. Even on their coinage, they had palm branches. And so this was a sign that not only 
uh, is their victory in Israel, but that they are proclaiming by putting their coats and the palm branches on the ground for this colt to walk on, for Jesus to pass over, they are proclaiming him as their king, as their ruler. Second thing is, is that Jesus is showing his kingship by fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah, verse 9, chapter 9, verse 9. This uh, is because he's riding on the colt or he's riding on the ass. And the ass is a symbol of peace. The kings of the earth come or rise to power by deceit and lies. They destroy. They even take over by war or by protests. But Jesus comes riding on a donkey. Jesus comes peacefully. And the same is true when he is coming in order to impress upon us to become a child of God. He doesn't come at us in some kind of convictive, vindictive way where he's beating us over the head saying, you've got to follow me or else. But when Jesus presents himself for us to become Christians, for us to become his disciples, for us to follow after him, he comes to us in the same way. He comes to us in peace saying, I love you. I'm bringing peace. Will you give your life to me? The third thing is the people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now in Psalm 118 is the passage of scripture that they are actually um, quoting here. The translation that we have today of Hosanna is save us. And so Blair's going to read a portion of Psalm 118 verses 14 through 29 for us. And just imagine as the people are entering into Jerusalem, they're laying down their coats, they're laying down palm branches, they're waving the palm branches in the air, they're shouting Hosanna, and Jesus is coming in riding on a donkey, and these are the words, other words that the people are saying. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly, the right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So th three things that we discover here within Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem First of all, planning is important. Second of all, we see symbolism of the branches, the hosannas, and the donkey. And we also see these things happening in a way that fulfill, thirdly, Jesus's kingship, his domination over 
the world and, and over the Israelites. And Jesus doesn't do this by coming with war, by the sword or by destruction. He does it in peace. So I have a couple of questions and we're closing with these. Are symbols important? The palm branch, the donkey, the psalm that is spoken aloud by the people. Are these kinds of symbols important today? I think symbols are a representation of what has happened mm -hmm. in our past or what is happening currently. Mm. And sometimes symbols can bring a peace. Yeah. Symbols are important. They're not made to be worshipped. Well, yeah. that's my next question. <laughs> and I mean, symbols are so important to us. Like we recognize symbols that... um in the 2000s, uh, early 2000s, I know it's 2020, but early 2000s, texting became a thing and symbols became so important that they created these things, emoticons yeah, yeah. or emojis. And I mean, emoticons used to take a long time to make back whenever computers were pretty new and you'd have to do all the hashtags and backslashes and all that stuff and it'd make huge elaborate emoticons. And then over time, they became these little smiley faces that we send with our messages and stuff like that. Because we recognize symbols as being important and mm -hmm. symbolic. <laughs> yeah. We recognize symbols and our eyes recognize them as being happy, angry, and other stuff like that. And we use them in our communication still to this day. Correct. Uh, so I do, yeah, I believe symbols are important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think symbols are very important for us because when something happens... For us to recall that thing that happened brings us not only back into that moment. Like last night, a friend of mine and I were texting each other and uh, there was a situation that happened when COVID first started where he was um, arrested because he was trying to take medicine to his nanaji. And as he was trying to take that medicine, we went on total lockdown and we weren't aware that we couldn't travel. And I had sent a text to a grocery mart and they said, sir, your groceries are ready. And just no reason. I just texted my friend and I said, hey, I'm, I'm on way out to go pick up groceries. And he texted me back and he said, don't go out. And then I didn't hear anything from him. And then I was like, what in the world is he saying that don't go out for like, I can go out. There's nothing wrong with going out. And so I went down to the car, but because it kind of struck a chord with me of um, a feeling, not just in my mind where I was like, he said, don't go out. Like, what does he know? Instead, it was like inside my heart. I was like, he said, don't go out. I need to heed his advice right now. So I wiped down my car, started washing the windshield, wiped down the car a little bit more, took five, 10 minutes and then texted him again. And I said, what do you mean? Don't go out. And nothing happened. He didn't answer. So I called him and no answer came. And I didn't know what to do. I was just like, he said, don't go out. But now he's not answering my call. What is he talking about? Like, this is strange. But I feel like he has more information than I have. And that God has protected me in this moment. What is it exactly that my friend is trying to say? I didn't go out. And about a half an hour later, so this is 45 minutes after the first text of don't go out. He sends me the message of what had happened with him getting stopped by the police, uh, arrested, taken, taken in um, because he was driving during the lockdown just to take medicine. I mean, this was an essential thing because Nanaji needed the medicine, and yet the police were being um, very strict in their regulations. And if I had gone out, I probably would have been arrested as well. I mean, I can only speculate what would have happened to me because instead of 
saying, my friend doesn't know anything. And instead of praying about it and saying, okay, God doesn't know anything. I'm going to do my thing because it's my right. I have the right to go get my groceries. Instead of being like that, I listened to my friend. I listened to God in that moment and I didn't go out. And as a result, uh, my friend saved me from any kind of harm or damage or problem that day. And so we were talking about that. And I had told him, I wrote that story to my grandmother and he's like, send it, send me a copy of it. So I did, I copied and pasted it and sent it to him. And this was a symbol of remembrance of how awesome a friend I have, how amazing a savior I have who would use my friend in order to protect me and protect my family. That's a symbol for me that is just puts me in that moment of thankfulness and thanksgiving, celebration and praise to God saying, God, thank you for how great you are. You are amazing. So with all those things in mind, how can we keep symbols from becoming idols or rituals that have no meaning and no significance? And that's a tough question. Yeah, I mean, that's when you have to answer personally. Well, how do because it's an individual thing, or unless if you get involved in a like an association or a club, and they have a symbol, and then that symbol can become a ritual. Mm -hmm. You really, you really have to be mindful of: Am I making this my idol? Mm -hmm. Like at this time at this year is when I do this. I mean, am I worshiping the event, or am I truly worshiping Christ Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great insight. Is there any any anything else? Is there anything that you do maybe to try and prevent symbols from becoming your ritual or your idol or um, something that's repetitive that has no longer any significant well, meaning or value? That's the nice thing about following after Christ and reading so. scripture. It does repeat a lot of the same themes in different books, and they all go together and flow together, but... There's not one phrase we or mantra we have to repeat every day and wake up in the morning and call out to our God through this mantra or, you know, go and meditate this way in order to feel like I've done something. Instead, we already have Christ with us. So like even the Bible's not really a symbol, it's a instruction. I I've learned is it's an instruction manual. It's a this is how life with Christ is supposed to look like. And mm. sometimes people fail, like the Bible does talk about. I mean, David failed, Gideon failed, Noah failed, Moses yeah. failed at certain points in time, but that doesn't mean God didn't still work with them. Right. And even during the covenant he made with Abraham, Abraham fell asleep in the middle of it, and he walked around the what was supposed to be the covenant twice, showing if God failed, he'd be punished, and if man failed, God would still take the fall for man. Exactly. Because God is there for us in both times. Right. And so, I mean, there's no really symbol that we have really to worship because the only thing we really need to worship is God himself. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't have a specific image that he looks like. Correct. And is there a specific place that we have to go in order to worship him? No. No. We can worship any anywhere. Is there a specific time we have to worship him? No. No, we can worship him at any time. And so in order to keep these things from being idols, in order to keep these symbols from becoming regular rituals, what we do is we profess him all the time. Yeah. Uh, do you think that's possibly what Jesus meant when he said, pray without ceasing, like always pray? Do yes. not ever stop praying? 
like sometimes I think in our um, plan driven minds, our organized minds, our calendar driven minds, our to do list minds, we think, okay, pray without ceasing. That means that I need to make sure it's on my checklist. And I think instead, what Jesus is really saying is, Prayer is not a ritual. Prayer is not a symbol. Prayer is something that is a regular part of your life that does not ever stop. It is a constant flow. Mm -hmm. Meditation is a constant flow. Yeah. It doesn't just happen at one point of the day or one period of time, but instead it's, and it's not a symbol. It is something that we constantly interact with in order to remove idolatry in order to remove ritualistic tendencies and to instead be an everyday part of life. I live life with Christ. When? Life. When? 24-7. When? Every day. When? That's just, that's the way my life is with Jesus. And so his triumphal entry teaches, what'd you say? Forever. <laughs> forever. And we do this for all eternity, forever, because he does not allow us to face death. Why? because he took death upon himself. We already talked a little bit earlier. Blair and Xavier both alluded to the fact that the miracle of Lazarus was to show Jesus's dominion over death, hell, and the grave. And as a result, life eternally with him, these symbols, they have value, but they can't become our idols. They can't become our rituals, our annual ritual, our weekly ritual, or our daily ritual. Instead, our day is to be with Christ and in Christ. Is there anything else that you discovered from this passage of scripture? Death bears fruit. Yeah, it does. To die into oneself, dying to the things of this world and surrendering your all in all bears fruit. Hmm. And sometimes we don't see the fruit. Is that okay? And that's okay. <laughs> because yeah. the one that's to be shown and magnified is our savior. Definitely. There's nothing to fear when you're with Christ, there's no fear. Hmm. I mean, nothing can stop stop us because God is with us. Nothing can separate us. Nothing either, can right? separate us from yeah. God either. We may be down in the dumps and ignoring what Christ is saying to us and not always do what he wants, but he's still there. Yeah. And if we follow after him, I mean, not even death can do anything. Hmm. An unknown that not anybody really understands fear of the unknown fear of death is what like some of the top fears and phobias among people is when we're with Christ. There's no need to have that because we just live internally with God and we don't even know what that's like. Huh. But it's still so unfathomable and amazing that we can overcome something that a large majority of the world is afraid of and even death dies whenever we're with Christ, yeah. however that's possible. <laughs> Death has no sting. Absolutely. Lord, thank you for bringing me to a place of skepticism, but not a skepticism that leads me into disbelief, a skepticism that makes me dive deeper into the word of God and to trust more in what you were saying and follow after you more wholeheartedly, not blindly, following after you, but with my eyes open because you have removed the scales from my eyes and I am no longer blind. I pray that for my friends. I pray that for my family. Lord, thank you for your triumphal entry, which shows us you are plan-oriented and detail-oriented. Help me to continue to consult you in all of my plans. 
my goals, my aspirations, my achievements. And may I reflect on the symbols that you have granted me throughout my relationship with you, the times you've protected me, the times that you've taught me, the times that you've revealed yourself to me in a way that is unfathomable. And if there is a symbol or a picture or uh, some emoticon that pops into my brain, let me not turn that into an idolatry type symbol, but instead let me pray without ceasing, worshiping you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Mallory, will you close this in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day and that everybody will stay safe and make sure that they wear their masks. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 amen.